0: On this episode of The Playbook, I have the incredible Dan Arnold, president and CEO of LPL Financial with over a trillion dollars in management. And we're gonna talk about the golden rules of investing. Join me for all this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. I have an extraordinary entrepreneur, Dan Arnold. He is the president and CEO at LPL Financial And the success of LPL itself is a testament to your playbook to success. I'm just curious, Dan, you know, being in a traditional business with so many advisors uh, that you have over 16,000 of them, the pandemic, you know, it's one thing when you have a few hundred employees, 20 employees, or even two employees, because as you know, people are the most important part of our business. And when you have 16,000 families, relying on you and your company in order to provide shelter and food alone during a terrifying change like the pandemic. What were you able or how did you prepare for the success and then execute on it?
1: Yeah, you know, and David, it's a a great question. And not to mention the 16,000 families um, that Perhaps we're relying on the sustainability of the business, but it's the 7 million families that all those financial advisors support and help throughout the country who may have needed um, financial resources and or support or shifts through this pandemic. So the stakes were pretty big and it wasn't lost on us, the responsibility that came with that. And um you know, if I took you back to the beginning of that, um, we came into 2020 or pre-pandemic in a, in a place of strength, right? The advisors uh, were working in a strong economy. Strong economy breeds greater demand for financial advice, uh, more resources to put to work. So they were in a place of, of um, growing their businesses at a solid pace, helping existing clients more and, and attracting new clients. Um, you put on the backs of that uh, the strength of our firm is we were um, had a have a, a really appealing business model out in the marketplace and we're attracting new financial advisors in um, at a at sort of a record clip in an industry leading pace and and um, you add then that to a strong balance sheet uh, that gave us the capacity to invest into the pandemic versus retreating and and that was a nice foundation as we. Um, um, you know, as the world went boom and things changed. Now, when they did occur, one of the things that I, I think we did was we just pulled up and we said, hey, we challenged ourselves. Uh, what are the most important things that are here that we need to focus on? And they became the principles of our strategy to work through the pandemic. And there were two. One, protect the safety and health of um, all the employees at LPL and all the advisors that we work with. And then to um, make sure that we took care of our advisors so they could c- continue to take care of their clients and those 7 million families uh, that were out in the marketplace. And, and in order to do that, um, we purposely set the bar to not just hanging on and surviving, but how did we really challenge ourselves to be extraordinary at a time when the advisor's clients needed them most? And that was a a sort of a bigger context or a a bigger thought or challenge to solve for. Um, And then we had gone through a cultural transformation just the prior two years leading into the pandemic. And we absolutely leaned on it as a foundation to help uh, make the pivot that we needed to to um, shift everybody to working from home and make sure that they had the equipment and the resources to, to keep going um, as if they were still working within the office, um, as an example. Um, we had to make sure that we could iterate quickly and learn if we tried something that didn't work, how could we learn quickly and, and experiment on something else such that um, we continued to improve on our execution um, um, throughout the, 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 the pandemic? Um, how do we make sure we stayed focused on that client such that, that, that we were laser focused on making sure we understood their changing needs and could innovate, uh, of which to help them um, meet new challenges and, and solve uh, new problems. And you know, it, it's um, it's one of the foundations of our culture. But it, it really teased out this ability to execute as one team on one mission. And I think that was so key to making sure that we were able to pivot in a world that had changed so quickly overnight and continue to execute uh, really well. Um, you Absolutely. add. To- yeah,
0: go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say within the context, you know, you have over half a billion dollars in management. you you know have so many people and so many critical business issues. I think one of the challenges that everyone faces even before the pandemic and will face after is just simple prioritization. And you seem to be before you even were acquired, an expert in this field of and I think it's one of the most valuable skill sets, how to prioritize. How were you prioritizing? you know, the action items that existed? Uh, you know, I know before, but especially during the pandemic, there's so many different variables. Prioritization seemed to be a superpower of yours.
1: Yeah, well, I, the team did a great job and and um, um, making the pivot. And I think there's, there's two fundamental issues that we did. One, we were clear on what our principles or those two main areas of focus are. So you start right there. And if you can solve for that, great. If you can't, then there's no need to go beyond that. And if we couldn't protect the health and safety of our employees and our advisors, if we couldn't make sure our, our advisors could continue to conduct business in a now all-digital world, um, then then those were showstoppers. And we had to stay focused on it. The second thing that we did is we turned the executive management committee, so think about your, your 10 leaders Uh, um, sort of on the tip of the spear, if you will. And we turned them into an an agile, nimble pot. And that team met every single week to debrief. What did we learn? What are we getting right? What are we missing? What are new challenges that have come up to try to accelerate decision-making to reinforce focus on what really matters and constantly be getting feedback that we can use to learn and iterate on. So I think those were two of the Key things that helped us stay focused, prioritize well, and, and execute well through uh, through a fast moving marketplace.
0: Well, besides being a great sports fan, if you went to Auburn, uh, you also studied uh, engineering, so you're formula oriented person. Uh, it's interesting that you'd end up. You know, I understand you have an MBA in finance as well, but as an electrical engineer probably not your vision of your life while you were studying at auburn uh watching bo jackson or somebody else like that probably running all over everybody else um but that formula uh or mentality that mindset of creating formula have you created a success formula as well
1: yeah you know um i i have tried to create one individually for myself and then also create one for the firm and um And, um, you know, this was a learning that probably goes back to earlier in my career. Um, I was a I I was a a bit of an entrepreneur when I was in college. We created a little business at Auburn Um, when I was in grad school. We started a a bar in Atlanta because we thought that was a cool idea. I'm not so sure it was. And um, it (laughs) was a cool
0: idea. It may not have been a cool business. (laughs) It was fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then um, and then even, um, you know, when I when I entered, the wealth management space from the telecom industry it was in a it was in a small family-run business that had lots of promise but hadn't done well executing and and what I realized is regardless of the size of the organization you're in, the complexity, the scale, um, sort of leading with that entrepreneurial spirit and and it's one where I, I think about prioritizing curiosity um, a customer centric mindset. The authentic passion for the business, a, a values-driven approach, and just a desire to solve tough problems—those are relevant. I don't care what role a leader has, and what size organization and what industry you're in; um, those are those are important attributes to challenge yourself um, to deliver on. And if you're doing that in the spirit of the greater good, you usually find um, great outcomes. And and I think my takeaways from that time in the the more entrepreneurial um, roles was perhaps um, maybe threefold. You have to obsess on the value you offer to your clients always, Um, you, you truly have to understand how you turn that value into economics, meaning does someone value it and are they willing to pay for it? And then finally, you'll always have to do the critical thinking to, Make sure that you're evolving your, your strategy to position yourself to win long-term. And I, I think those are just great sort of framework to think about for an individual and how they add value as a, as a leader.
0: I absolutely agree. I think there's a fourth component probably stemming from my sales entrepreneurial background, which is the value of uh, quantitatively being able to articulate those values to exceed what you're asking for. I think a lot of businesses, and obviously you do it well with the success that you're having, is they don't really think about, okay, we have all the components, but who's actually able or capable of sharing the quantitative value and articulate it where it exceeds what we're asking for, which stems to my next question about the psychology, not only as an entrepreneur to go from an employee to an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur to an investor, but that psychology that's required in order to be one of your independent financial advisors. You know, this is an emotional decision based on logical reasons. Uh, Most of the time, some of the biggest uh, financial decisions are made with these financial advisors, uh, whether it's homes or insurance or life insurance and annuities and a variety of stocks and bonds, et cetera. But these are important decisions. I have found the best people and the best companies understand the psychology of these transitions, not only from employed entrepreneur, entrepreneur to investor, but also just the psychology of investing in general. Um, what do you guys do on the psychology end of things to help facilitate such success that you have?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great question. And I think one of the classic reasons we believe that the financial advisor or professional important is so integral to this ecosystem of wealth management or investing um, David, in fact, we're one of the f- few firms in the space that actually sees that advisor as a real asset to the overall value proposition. And what we mean by that is it's, you, you, you really need someone that can help someone think about how they solve complex problems in life. So if you're going to help them achieve their life goals and dreams, you've got to be willing to take on How do I educate my kids? How do I think about retirement? How do I um, save or put aside money for um, emergencies or risks all the way to big ticket purchases or big events, uh, life events, if you will, like weddings and things. And there's complex things to solve for. And um, the advisor not only has to uh, understand the unique needs of that family um, they have to have the skill set and the capability to put together a strategy that's truly going to solve those problems. But then they have to have that emotional element and that emotive element that really understands what's important to that client and helps that client really tease out what they're trying to solve for and, and the best way to do it. And it's not just a factual, quantitative um, dialogue and conversation much of what we're talking about probably has more uh, emotion in it than it does anything else. And really trying to help uh, understand how you add value in that area is just as important as the quantitative pieces is just as important as the financial plan. And I think that's, what's hard to replicate with pure technology. You know, if we're going to have a, a, a digital advice mechanism to give us the advice until a computer can understand and truly un, um contemplate your emotions and how to deal with them, it's tough for them to replicate the, the financial professional. And so our view is take that financial professional and wrap the technology around them that allows them to create an extraordinary modern experience that's highly personalized and highly digitized, but never loses the core IP of that financial professional. And I, I think that's, a, that's our model, and that's how we try to help all of the advisors to give them the tools and capabilities to provide that sort of holistic advice, if you will.
0: Yeah. And that holistic advice is so important. You know, coming from someone who was worth over a hundred million dollars in his thirties, lost it all and came back and started to actually ask for help and to find people who sat in a situation that I wanted to be in that understood the dummy tax that I paid and were willing to sit down. And it was interesting because two of the simpler things that nobody had ever asked me and I had made millions and millions of dollars of investment was what's your timing and risk tolerance? Yep. Right. You know, like very simply like, Hey man, do you have any idea what you actually, are you prospecting or investing, you know, and then also I think another add, added, uh, asset or value that your firm gives is the ability to have someone else trust and vet the investment. Yeah. You know, I think that we, we all, whether we think we are or not, we're all too trusting and we're all too afraid to vet and i think it's important both ways when you're dealing with a firm like yours is to have someone that's your partner to trust and vet other opportunities but also you can trust and vet your financial advisor and you know the, if they can't be trusted and vetted then they shouldn't be your financial advisor, advisor. and if they can't withstand the trusting and vetting of yourself then they shouldn't be it and you guys have withstood the test of time in that respect as well you know being able to be trusted for so many years and vetted by so many people not just the uh clients but the 16,000 financial advisors is a testament i think to that process how important is it for the external and in, internal trusting and vetting process of finding that alignment with the timing and risk tolerance and the opportunities that are synergistic or supplementary to that process.
1: Yeah. It's um, uh, David is so well said. And it's, it look, it's one of the priorities um, of the foundation of our model. If you go back 30 years ago, when, when the firm was created, it was a, it was a disruptive idea to the traditional kind of wall street wealth management model that was built on two premise. And one of those was, how do we create higher quality, independent, objective advice, right? So, so what does that exactly mean? Well, it means that um, you don't have one company that provides wealth management advice and also manufactures investment products that you're trying to sell. It, it means that you don't necessarily have an investment bank that could be in conflict with the very advice that you're providing. It means you don't do proprietary trading in a portfolio that could in any way um, distract or, or get in front of your clients. So it's a, it's, a, it's a model that was built purely on focused on disseminating investment advice. And again, all for the purpose of helping people achieve their life goals and dreams. And that was one of the big disruptors and to this day, we've stayed um, pure to that ambition, that aspiration of a higher quality, higher level of of advice that is uh, uh, purely vetted by third party objective um, resources. And so at the end of the day, we don't manufacture product, but we do a large vetting to the outside world and we have a robust offering of products. But they're all done and evaluated and the diligence done around them um, by our own internal people in a purely objective way, as an example. And I think that is one of the strengths of the foundation of this model and one of the reasons why advisors, it's so appealing to them, because they can come and create their own business, design and engineer the perfect practice for themselves, and then have all the resources and capabilities wrapped around them. Um, but do it in an independent standalone way where they can um, where they can just focus on doing right for their clients.
0: And I think that's more than well said, doing right for our clients is like increasing shareholder value for your firm. Uh, the well more and better we do for the clients, the greater the success and abundance there is in the firm and you'd be able to do that. Last question real quick, golden rules, you know, I'm a big fan of learning golden rules and you have been through the gambit over the decades of time give me one of your golden rules of investment that you've learned that you know you would tell you know my daughter just graduated college and looking for a lot of golden rules from me and you know she can only hear me tell her the same ones like show me your friends i'll show you your future and be more interested than interesting or kind to your future self Give us a financial gift that I can give to my daughter for graduation. Give me one golden rule to finish up the interview.
1: Yeah, um, uh, just a couple of fundamental ones. And these aren't earth shattering ideas, but I think it's more around consistency of execution. Start early, be consistent, diversify, and don't be afraid of risk at young ages.
0: I love it. I am here with the wisdom of success. Dan Arnold, president and CEO of LPL Financial. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.